Well, here we are. Good morning. No, good evening, everybody. <laughs> it's Charlie here with uh, Red Summit RF, and uh, we are with the uh, All Portable Discussion Zone uh, today. It's a bi-weekly live stream all about amateur radio portable ops. With me this evening are my two co-hosts, uh, Dan, KC7MSU, and Brian, W7JET. And also, I am pleased to introduce to you tonight our guest, Tom, N2YTF. Hi, folks. And that's uh, Claire way back over my shoulder. Okay. Uh, and uh, t uh, you're from uh, the Terrytown, New York area, right? About 30 miles north of New York City. Okay, good. And of course, uh, as always, we have our regular characters in the chat room. Uh, welcome to all of you who are there. Uh, we are happy to see everybody joining us, and uh, thank you for those who will be catching us later. Uh, of course, uh, if you have any comments or questions, go ahead and leave them in the chat, and we will make sure we grab those and throw them up and let everybody uh, see them so we can talk about them. So first, let's get caught up on uh, how, what's been going on the past few weeks since we last met. And uh, Why don't we start with uh, Dan? Why don't you go ahead for us, Dan? Oh, you're muted. <laughs> There you go. Yep. Okay. Uh, let's see. Finally been getting out a little bit. So last weekend, uh, uh, I went up to Saddle Mountain with uh, uh, Robert and 3BZ, and we camped out overnight, activated that summit. And I still need to uh, put my logs in for that. <laughs> but uh, it was really great up there. It was nice and cool. Uh, unfortunately, it rained most of the late afternoon through early uh, Sunday morning. But uh, it was nice and cool up there and uh, and beautiful. So nice and green. Nice to see Arizona uh, cool. looking like that again. What were your contacts uh, like? Did you get a is, uh, did you get a lot? And not a super lot. Um, Robert did better than I did on, on making contacts. Uh, 40 was pretty dead when I first got on it in the morning. And then it perked up. Uh, 20 meters was pretty good most of the day. Um, so How long was, were you activating? Um, God, between us, we were probably on air about a good four hours anyways. Nice. Uh, and then, uh, Robert made a few contacts, uh, later on in the evening. I tried to get on the Ansonet, didn't hear anything on Saturday night, but, uh, heard lots of other things going on. There were a few QSO parties going on. So it was kind of fun to chase a few of those folks. Uh, I think there were three or four of them going on. So it was really nice. And then, uh, yesterday, uh, Visited the uh, Radio Society of Tucson Ham Fest down in Tucson, Arizona. Had a few items to uh, sell off that I was not really using anymore. And uh, managed to uh, send those uh, items off to some other folks who hopefully will uh, get better use out of those. It was really good to see a bunch of folks uh, down there. And um, it was nice to see a bunch of people interacting with each other for changes. First Ham Fest I've been to. And... Oh, almost two years now. Yeah, I bet it's great to get back to that. I, I am looking forward to the one in, uh, our club's going to be doing here in December. Yes, that's going to be a, a good one. I'm looking cool. forward to that as well. Cool. All right, Brian, what about you? Well, let's see. I've been uh, very busy with uh, activating, um, as, we, as some people might have noticed with the spots. Work, um, I've got a lot of sit time now all around Arizona with... Uh, um, target rich areas for soda activations. So let's see, I think I've done two in Prescott, two in Sholo, and then a couple uh, on my own around here. The uh, 
ones I've done in Prescott. Uh, the other thing I've also started doing is co-spotting with Poda, making a point of doing that and actually sending the logs in and everything else. And that has increased my uh, number of contacts significantly. In fact, this this is the log from the last activation. It's two-sided. It might be a little hard to see because it's white, but um, it's two-sided. One side is all 40-meter contacts. One side is all 20-meter contacts. That's a total of 60 contacts um, on CW between both of them. A lot of the call signs were unfamiliar to me, which leads me to believe that they're mostly POTA people that are that are adding to the numbers. Um, had what a couple you say? of is it the double or two, or threefold or. Um, you know, it kind of depends. Band condition wise, on a good on a normal activation where I have not been co-spotting is usually about twenty-five to thirty contacts. So I'd say I've at least double. That's probably about about what it's done. Is about doubled the uh, the number. I've also been looking at the the POTA spots too and trying to get parked to parks when I can find them because they're kind of uh, exciting. Um, just like a, you know, an S two S is exciting, and I'm sure it's exciting for the person that, on the other end that's in the park that's getting to work me. Um, I did participate this Wednesday from the top of Wolf Mountain in the CW Ops uh, CWT oh. 1900 session. Managed to work oh, yeah. five contacts uh, in that before I switched over and just started working as a as an activator. So first couple of contacts on that summer were were CWT contacts. That was cool, and um, you know it's just been it's just been a good time. Lots of activity, lots of exercise, um, and. Uh, then you know when i'm sitting around the house doing stuff or studying or whatever i try to chase a little bit in fact i was doing that right before uh, right before we started chased a bunch three or four pota contacts uh arkansas texas south dakota and i think why uh wisconsin maybe anyway that's uh that's kind of what's been going on here just keeping busy and and working of course the uh this the cw academy to improve my my operating skills because you know that that is always a work in progress yeah yeah. Yeah, me too. You know, for me, it's just mostly been the CW Ops stuff. I, uh, you know, as everybody knows, that has been following along. I've, I've been out of town like the last three weekends and, and a lot of stuff's been left undone. So I have not done anything really, except for maybe just to work a little bit on the, uh, the portable Morse code vit, uh, uh, paddle series, getting that next, uh, video, uh, going on that one. That's other than that, I, I haven't really done anything other than chasing a little bit from the shack. Um, so and then, of course, the CW Ops thing. Uh, in fact, I, I, uh, I've been using Kurt's uh, uh, Morse Code Ninja stuff uh, as supplemental material for that. Just, just really trying to push myself to get uh, get my speeds up pretty good, so I can get a, become a member of that uh, club, just like you are, uh, Brian. So, yep. Cool. All right, Tom. I guess it's your turn now, buddy. Uh, we, I'm so uh, happy you're here, and, and appreciate you coming on. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've been up to the last few weeks or whatever, a month or whatever, and, and uh, introduce yourself a little bit. Oh, well, uh, I've, been, uh, I've, been, I've been a little jealous of Dan and Brian because I'm a shack sloth lately. Uh, with the three kids and COVID putting a crimp in uh, babysitting uh, and waiting for school to start, uh, time's been kind of limited. But I have, um, I've been struggling with connecting the... Um, you know, improving the home setup and readying the gear for my next operation. Uh, at home, I've been working on getting the 9700 to properly drive and trigger the mass-mounted preamplifiers from Beko on 2 meters and 440. Those Beko preamps need draw something like an amp. It's very unusual. Whereas the 9700 will um, power a mass-mounted preamp at something like uh, 200 milliamps. So you need to make a bit of a preamp power amplifier, if you will. 
So I've been working on that and uh, getting the 705 uh, connected to a Raspberry Pi for portable uh, WSJT with the uh, iPhone as the screen and keyboard. Uh, those have been the latest projects, but uh, I always have a million things in, on the back burners. Yeah, that's good. You got a, a busy bench, huh? Always, <laughs> always with parts, things in, in every state of uh, construction. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, so then you, um, as far as your radio background, you got, go when, tell us a little bit about how you got involved in radio and, and uh, what you, uh, when you got involved in soda and stuff. Well, uh, years ago, uh, as a kid growing up in Queens, uh, which is on uh, Long Island, I visited the Hall of Science and uh, there was a public uh, station there at the Hall of Science and I was just amazed, but I really didn't think that was something I could ever do, but it, I was very impressed. Uh, now fast forward to high school, and I had a friend who um, who was a ham, and you know that planted the seed again. And I thought, oh well, I have to get I have to get licensed. And it wasn't until the first year of college that I finally got my license, and I played around with all sorts of things, operating six meters uh, with a transverter out my dorm window, and and uh, and doing all sorts of uh, nonsense there. And uh, later, when I came back to Queens. I became eventually became the president of the Hall of Science Radio Club, and uh, did a lot of portable operating from Manhattan while going to grad school. And uh, fast forward to uh, when that public station at the Hall of Science uh, needed to find a new home, uh, a new president of the Hall of Science came, and it was decided that there wasn't enough room for ham radio in the museum. So uh, we were looking for a new home, and a potential new home was the Sea, Air, and Space Museum, the Intrepid Aircraft Carrier in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. So uh, we were having a special meeting on how that would work. And, you know, I had heard about summits on the air uh, from a friend of mine, but our schedules never lined up. All the summits were far away in northern New York State. And uh, I hadn't had a chance to go up, so I was looking for someone to, to go up with. And, um, you know, at the back of the room for this intrepid Sea, Air, and Space Museum meeting, there was a, a guy I hadn't seen before, uh, Whiskey 2 Victor Victor, and, uh, and his then-girlfriend, uh, uh, now wife, who's also a ham, and uh, Diana Eng. And uh, I asked, who would, who would like to, at the end of the intrepid meeting, I said, well, who would like to join me on a hike? You know, nobody was interested because most of these folks are, um, uh, meet certain stereotypes about ham radio. They're, they're very comfortable in the shack. So, um, uh, so he, he decided to go up with me and, and, and the rest is history. Uh, I started, uh, we started looking for summits and, uh, it was always a long drive and we thought we had to change that. Um, well, what's interesting is uh, I heard from uh, I can't remember who asked me to to reach out to you somebody you know and I, I might not I might have to look up and see who it was that said hey you need to reach out to Tom, but he said that you uh, you were one of the pioneers over in the, the East Coast as far as uh, getting involved in soda. Do you want to speak a little bit about that? When I uh, when I became interested in summits on the air, there was some of the I don't know if you're familiar with the geography of New York State, but way up in the northeast corner, let's say of New York State. Uh, you've got the uh, Adirondacks, and uh, then down south you've got the uh, Catskills, 
And that's about all we had for summits in America. That was the extent of W-2. Not all of those areas had been added at that time. There was no New Jersey. Uh, this is all, you know, an hour drive from New York City. There was some stuff about 45 minutes closer. But that was it. You know, so you could, you could do a summit, but it took a lot of time because it was the drive. It, and when you're talking about two hours plus round-trip driving and you haven't hiked yet, yeah, that kind of puts a crimp in, in how far you're going to hike, what you're going to bring. So, you know, it was very limiting. And and I didn't know anything about maps at that time, and the maps down here were pretty poor. Um, so, you know, after struggling with that for a while, I, um, I reached out to the W2 manager, and I asked about how we could expand this. And, uh, you know, Andrew suggested I contact the bunch in the U.K., and they were ecstatic. And the, the question was, well, where do we go from W-2? You know, what gets added next? And, uh, you know, we, we worked on getting New Jersey summits added, but we really wanted to, to do more than that. And, uh, you know, do we add W-3? Do we add W-1? Where do we go? And I thought, well, you know, with the headquarters of the ARRL in W-1, let's get W-1 covered and see if, if uh, Summits on the Air gets a little more attention as a result. Uh, so that's what I said about doing. It was, then the question was, well, you know, how do you identify these summits? Uh, no, one, um, no one really thought about that. Uh, you know, a Andrew had worked a little bit with that, and the bunch in the UK were familiar with um, uh, these folks who, um, who I now... As unusual as ham radio is, there is a more unusual hobby, in my mind, and that is the people who find points of prominence, not to visit them, just to say they found them on a map. <laughs> so <laughs> this is, um, there's, of course, uh, the list of John is, is one of the prominent uh, lists that a lot of soda people would now be familiar with, but back then was, you know, somewhat unknown, uh, at least in ham radio circles. What do you say this is? Oh, this is 2007, okay. wow. 2006. Um, you know, I at that time, I was uh, a hike for me would be attempting to go up um, uh, South Beacon Mountain, W2EH, I want to say 003, and getting lost. <laughs> that took three tries. That took wow. three tries with no map. I finally made it. But, um, yeah. You know, so so I had a lot of learning to do, um, but uh, uh, you know that that's where we were, you know, and and um, you know, but uh, so eventually, I'm sorry, what were you gonna say? I was gonna say, so what uh, you were this, what number of so how many associations had been created at this point? One, just, just W two. I thought it, I had heard you say that. You're, yeah. you're the, this W1 was the second one you were involved in. That's right. The association in the United States. That's right. And uh, I, I had the uh, first W1 <laughs> activation, to my knowledge. There's a uh, lot of virgin peaks then, weren't there? Uh, a lot <laughs> of virgin peaks. peaks. Uh, uh, W2VV, Dave and I uh, put our stamp on many of them. If, if you go through... Uh, the things close to New York City, chances are you'll you'll see my name as as one of the first activations or or Dave. Uh, those were heady times. <laughs> it was it was a new adventure each time. 
Um, I, I would have thought that those those associations were, you know, a lot older and had been worked, you know, a lot earlier in time than, you know, 2006, 2007 kind of time frame. Well, you know, at that time, the UK was very active and Europe was growing. It wasn't what it is today. Um, and someone outside of the UK was uh, something pretty neat for those guys to work in. Something over on this side of the pond was really, I mean, you turned heads. Uh, when I went up on a summit, it was a phenomenon. Uh, I remember um, uh, going up on a W1 summit and, you know, getting 33 sideband contacts in, in short order and everyone just being thrilled to work an American summit. Wow, an American summit, I can't believe it. Uh, you know, it, it was a good time. Cool, so uh, real quick, AJ, Alpha Juliet to India is the guy who, uh, who said, hey, you should reach out to, to Tom and, uh, and ask him about it. He's been very active around here lately. It's, it's good to have him. The, um, uh, you know, so, so we, we went about uh, trying to start W1, and uh, I, I went through the, the list of John and painstakingly tried to add summit names for summits that had no name because uh, those guys were interested in finding summits, not naming them. <laughs> so... Um, uh, so it's you know, elevation, right? The, the peak one six three two or whatever, right? That's right. That's right. Sometimes not even that. You know, you'd have all sorts of bizarre names, and then you'd have repetitive names. You know, uh, and you'd get those names again and again, and and sometimes they were names that had no other, no connection to to any map that that you could find, and and you'd wonder about those names. We've got one of those, right, Charlie? <laughs> yes, yes, we do. Four Peaks South Middle. <laughs> Four Peaks South Middle. We make jokes about it all the time. <laughs> I could see Four Peaks South Middle from my house. The uh, adding adding W one as one of the earlier ones was the right move, I think, because we we wound up getting some press from that, and uh, and it, it really took off at the beginning. It was really. Uh, you know, the, I think there's been a peak of activity in the east, and perhaps now uh, out west we're seeing a lot more activity than we are in, in the east. But it wasn't always that way. Yeah. Well, so let, let's uh, explore this a little bit further. Um, since you were, you know, one of the, the pioneers, I so to speak, in, in, in uh, doing summits on the air, um, how did you, what, what were your first... Uh, rigs that you used? What, what did you use to start off with? What were some of your uh, initial uh, pains, I guess, in, in uh, getting up on the air? Well, you, you know, I had um, I'd been in... Um, I, I started with, the, uh, with my 817, of course. This 817 has been with me since 817s were new. I got this the last day of Hamvention uh, soon after the um, 817 had been released. And I've tweaked it a bit to avoid the blown finals issues and things like that. But um, that was that was the rig. And at the time, uh, nickel metal hydride AA batteries, if you can imagine, which, you know, try that in cold weather. Yep, but, yep, um, I have. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, was, it was a learning process. And it, it was always um, uh, verticals. Uh, various homebrew verticals I have this uh, constructed from an AWRL article uh, years ago 
uh, made from um, uh, lawn sprinkler risers, if you're familiar with those. Oh, yep. oh yeah, yeah. And uh, you know that 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 was great, but it was bulky. And then I, I moved to um, uh, something with aluminum rod that I made, but that was bulky. And then I went to a Pac-12 uh, vertical, if you're familiar with those, and uh, that was that was light and handy. Uh, but you know, I found that uh, especially going up with someone else, the verticals tended to make a lot of um, broadband noise or they were not filtering the broadband um, transmit of the 817. So, you know, you couldn't really have two guys on a summit in close proximity with verticals. They'd, they'd be um, blurting each other out. That's interesting, yeah. At least that was our that was my experience in Whiskey 2, Victor Victor's experience. So I moved to uh, two meters, and uh, I would do a two-meter sideband, and I, I had a great uh, wire uh, beam from G4 DHF, I want to say, and um, uh, you know when, when you're kind of a a uh, pseudo celebrity because you're one of the few American activators, everyone wants to help you <laughs> with advice and antennas, and um, that that is a great antenna. It's a uh, there's a cross uh, fiberglass uh, support structure. And then uh, the wire elements across. It's a five-element, two-meter beam. Very handy. That's a uh, homebrew? Yes. Yeah, where, yes. Do, where, do, where would the, the listeners find the uh, plans for that? Uh, the plans are no longer online. Okay. Uh, I have a copy of them. And uh, I've could never... You, could you send them to me and I'll put them out uh, so people... Yes, I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll send them up so you can, you can put up a link. The, um, you know, the craftsmanship... On that antenna, the way he made them, it was just amazing. I I decided I, I wouldn't attempt making one because I can never make it that well. It was it's really and it's held up since that time and I've I've beaten the heck out of it. But um, you know that so that was that was many years and and then I, I went to um, a 706 Mark II G that I had also uh, very early from when that existed and. Um, uh, I used a, I found, if you could believe it, this is, say, 2009, I managed to get some surplus um, uh, lithium uh, iron nanophosphate cells back then from a failed electric car company. Uh, they were wow. producing an electric car that was egg-shaped. I can't remember the name of it, but... Um, oh, I think I've seen that before. Yes, yes, the egg-shaped car company had some extra batteries and you were ahead of your time lithium <laughs> on 2009 well but you know they were tired they were tired and i couldn't get my full 13.8 volts and 100 watts out so i took a uh, single uh, nickel metal hydride f uh, size cell and put it in series with that and that gave me the 1.2 volt boost that i would need for the 13.8 and the 100 watts out so that was great uh, but, you know, I really had to move to unfed wires because there was just too much noise. So um, uh, that came a little later, though. But so first it was uh, 50 watts, 2 meters with that rig. And then um, eventually going to HF when I went to unfed wires and realized, oh, you can be next to someone if you're running unfed wires. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cool. 
All right. Well, so any other questions from the from the chat or from the from uh, the co-hosts here on uh, before we move on to the broader topic of uh, portable radio? Oh, I guess two two comments. I it must have been fun and uh, taking the seven hundred six up uh, hills. That that's not exactly a light pack. Um, and then I would I've even think... brought my Alacraft K three. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Whoa. I've done it, and I fell on my back. My back is still angry with me about that. That's a very large, square, boxy radio. Yeah, I'd be afraid to fall down with that one. <laughs> and then uh, I would have imagined, so back in 2006 and seven, etc., on two meters, I would imagine that that was a lot, it was easier probably to make uh, contacts on uh, VHF or UHF back then than HF, I would think, just due to the population density in the areas. You know, uh, you would think so, but it wasn't. It wasn't that way. Um, the uh, you know the noise level in the tri-state area is very high. Uh, the um, when you talk about the Catskills, you've got uh, you know high mountains. But they're surrounded by mountains of near equal height. You can be on, uh, you know, the 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 uh, highest peak in the Catskills, Slide Mountain, at you know four thousand plus feet. But you know, there there are ten or fifteen summits all around you approaching that height, and there's no one up there. Uh, before W1 um, and before New Jersey was added to W2, we didn't really have much near population centers. Two meters was tough, so. I, uh, I eventually found the, um, although it took, it took a couple years to find this, a couple of hard years on two meters, but I found the um, BX-184 from um, uh, the, uh, what do they call themselves, the ham radio, the, the German website, if you're familiar with it. Uh, An antenna? No, no, it's, it's, no, it's a... Um, <laughs> It, it fits, a BX-184 fits into a standard Yezu microphone case, oh, and it's oh. a voice keyer. So oh. it, it's fantastic. You know, you, you press the button and you key away. And, you know, once I found that, two meters became easier. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. And what about uh, how were uh, contacts like into Europe from summits back in that time frame? It was easier then. It was easier because people were really looking for you. All the chasers there were looking, and the big chasers, uh, for them, you were a trophy. You know, I have more American summits than you do. You know, uh, not so much today, but but uh, back then, uh, that was really something. It, uh, two uh, two European hams, two European soda activators came over. And wanted to go on activations with me because you know, an American soda activator. Wow! <laughs> so that was, it was a different environment then. Yeah, I can imagine because you know new associations and and you know not a lot of folks out there. It was kind of rare. So if you were on the air, all of a sudden I would think you'd you'd get tuned into by quite a few European stations. Yeah, the the big guns, the guys who were at the top of the chasing class, they were right. They were right there every time. 
uh, you, Brian, anything? I was going to say, it looks like uh, Tom and I have activated the same summit in New Jersey. I was looking at uh, just to see if you had been up there, uh, High Mountain in Franklin Lakes. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, I, I grew up in Franklin Lakes, so I actually was back in uh, New Jersey for work in 2019, had enough time and ran up there and, uh, and activated that summit. But before that was even a preserve when it was just private land that uh, kids trespassed on me being one of them. We used to hike and and uh, and play back there, and I've been up on that mountain in my uh, in my teenage years, long before soda and uh, long before I said it was the the high mountain preserve. So I was curious to see if you had been up there or not, and I was like, oh, yep, he was back in 2010. Looks like he did uh, 10 meters and six meters. And and now when when you went up there, did you have a map or anything, or were you just poking around? Um, I had looked at the map a little bit. And it was in the afternoon evening. So I went up there and I stayed up there till pretty much sunset and then came back down in the dark. And, um, you know, it, it, there's enough trails where I kind of figured out where I was going and I knew the landmarks and my, my memory from my teenage years was actually still pretty good about what things looked like and where to go. The part that got confusing is the very end. You basically cross a swamp because there's a lot of swamps in Franklin lakes because of all the, the, the water and, and, that's one of the reasons why they called Franklin Lakes because it's got a ton of ponds and lakes in it. And going back through that part was probably the worst part because I was just covered in mud and walking through the mud to get back out again because I kind of lost the trail, but I knew where the road was, where my car was parked because there's a trailhead there. And that's how I made my way back out. But I, I had to do, when I got back to the hotel, um, I had to take my stuff I, I and I took my shoes and actually just submerged them in the bathtub to get the mud off of them and then did the same thing with the hiking pants and then threw everything in the washer and dryer at the hotel and actually had to do laundry that night because there was no way I was going to be able to pack everything back into my suitcase. See, now that's a great adventure. Yeah, it was a good time. The funny thing was I, I had almost no contacts on two meters on that hill. And I was expecting to at least have more on um, on you know more than that on HF just because or than, than I would have on HF just because of the you know the area and the proximity to everything. But I called my heart out on five two and nobody answered. BX one eighty four. You need a voice keyer. <laughs> on two meters, it's the only way. Yeah, I said just nobody nobody was uh, was coming back. I was I was actually pretty surprised by that. Given like from when I grew up there and I had my license, I was a novice in a tech. You know, two twenty was the thing back then because novices. That's all we had. We couldn't we couldn't use two meters at that time. And then when I got my tech license, you you never you, there was always somebody to talk to on uh, on on any of the v, you know the VHF UHF uh, frequency. I was really surprised I wasn't able to scare up any contacts even with a spot on uh, on two meter FM. At, when I uh, I remember um, I was really suffering. I was bringing up increasingly heavy and big radios, the K three the 706 and uh, then i said you know let me let me try something different I, and i went to bring the uh, 817 with a voice here and i would go up i'd i'd go up right away i'd hang it on a tree limb with a stock case put on an n-fed half wave uh, telescoping uh set it calling and then break out a sandwich <laughs> and that was uh that was much smoother much much more relaxed way of uh of doing things Cool. Well, you know, we have you on because, uh, I mean, first of all, we were, we were interested in, in some of the early days of uh, soda, and uh, we've talked a little bit about that. And so, again, if anybody in chat who has questions about that, go ahead and throw it up. But the broader topic that uh, we I'd like to hear more about is, is uh, just all the things that you've done with portable radio. 
because it seems like you've you've taken portable radio and done a lot of things outside of soda to to an extreme, uh, or maybe not. I don't know. What what, what is it? I've uh, I've operated from um, from uh, you know as far away as uh, Singapore uh, to Stockholm to uh, I've had a lot of fun operating portable, and um, you know I've I've had some great adventures and and made some great friends. I mean uh, I started out as far as uh, portable operating goes just in Manhattan and uh, you know surprisingly the um, in Central Park the soil of all places right around the Morse statue uh, has uh, has great conductivity and I remember working the UK on half watt uh, from there on HF uh, which was uh, which was fun and walking the streets of Manhattan uh, with a two meter halo antenna sticking out of a backpack it could imagine got some looks but you know if you're right if you're in the right place between uh buildings it almost acts like a channel i made contacts 200 miles out on voice with a antenna just a couple of feet above my head which you know probably wasn't that advisable but um but yeah, I, i've that <laughs> this is just going out and running portable right with 817 to and from grad school grad school on the west uh, end of the island and and uh, the apartment on the east end and crossing uh, back and forth uh, making contacts it was a great time it was all the time i had then so I you know i can't believe you would do something like that without getting any points <laughs> the uh, if 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 you think that's a a wild story the um i went to uh, my wife's from sweden so uh you know, we would go, uh, pre-kid, we would go maybe once or twice a year. And uh, I was uh, I was in Stockholm, and I would always try to do the uh, different VHF contests they had there. You know, I, I really loved that. So I had the 817 with me, and when I'm traveling, the 817 is always in a backpack with me. And um, uh, the VHF contest was going on, and, you know, it wasn't a great place to contest from in the middle of Stockholm with a and fed telescoping whip, but I knew the next day uh, there was a, um, a submarine meet going on, believe it or not, in Stockholm's Harbor. And they had uh, submarines from active duty submarines from military subs from all over Europe come in and um, you know, get open for tours the next day. And I knew that the Swedish sub which carried the call sign SL8SUB, was going to be in the contest and uh, was open for tours the next day. So I said, you know, I'm maybe like 500 feet from where they are there. I heard them pe working people on, on two meters and 70 centimeters throughout the, uh, you know, the whole area because everyone wanted to work these guys. I said, well, you know, this they're going to get a shock when I key down with five watts and an American accent and the loudest thing they've ever heard from 500 feet away. So, uh, you know, I, I, I made the contact, I called them and there was a pause. And <laughs> it took them a minute to process this American voice on two meters that was, you know, DFQ uh, all over the place. And, um, you know, we made the contact and, uh, the guy came back and he said, um, do you have any Swedes in your party? And I said, uh, well, yes, my, my wife uh, is here, KC2JOS. And uh, and uh, he said, well, can I talk to her for a minute? So 
you know, they had a conversation in Swedish, and uh, we were invited aboard. So uh, I got my uh, I got my tour of the submarine. I asked him if there's anything I could bring for him. He said he he laughed at me. He said, no, 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 no. We have a we have a full kitchen here. We have everything. And uh, you know, walking down the um, uh, I don't know what you call it on a submarine, the the tower. You know, uh, I walked down the tower, and the first thing I saw was the um, uh, the place where they would eat. And what impressed me was there was a framed picture of the Swedish uh, king and queen, like you would see in a James Bond movie or something, when they where they'd have that. And I said, "Wow, that's." That's really the way it is in a, in a sub. So, you know, that's that's an experience I never would have had uh, without radio, and, and that was only uh, that was only one of a million different uh, portable uh, stories. But that must that might have been the most uh, most notable. What an adventure that was! Absolutely, yeah. That's that's the thing that I kind of wanted to. Uh, you know, talk a little bit about tonight, just just briefly, anyway, if not a little longer, is is that there is well, the title of tonight's show is the unlimited possibilities of portable radio, and uh, when you go portable, uh, you're opening up a lot of doors that uh, you might not otherwise have. This is this story right here is a perfect example of that, and I'm sure you know you and and uh, me, Brian and Dan have all kinds of other stories where uh, we've we've had amazing things that have happened just by you know, taking our radios out and, and uh, going portable, whether it's for summits on the air or not. Um, I had a video I put out a while ago where I talk about the fact that I, there is no way in the world I would have seen as much of Arizona as I've seen had it not been for summits on the air for going portable. I mean, the, the places I've driven, the things I've seen, it's just amazing. And then, you know, get yeah. the views and all that. Yeah. And the people you meet that just, you know, like you were saying, just off, offhand, uh, chance encounters you know like like the one tom had and you know we've all had them but sometimes we don't really reflect on them uh that much after they happen but you know you, you never would have had those those encounters if it wasn't for amateur radio you know and in, in traveling and in, in, in using that craft um charlie could i tell you about operating in singapore yeah please the um i, I was um uh so uh, my uh, my brother-in-law was getting married in in Malaysia. He'd met a Malaysian woman and uh, and he was going to go over there and get married. And uh, we decided, well, let's do a European tour. Uh, my wife, a uh, European and Asian tour, you know. Um, so I got I got licensed everywhere I could. Uh, it was very interesting to see how each different country handled that for portable operating. Um, you know, if if you get at that time, if you wanted to operate in Macau, you could only operate from your hotel room and only with a guard present while you were operating. So I skipped that one. <laughs> and, um, you know, Hong Kong was very easy to get a license in, uh, but it was expensive. Uh, um, uh, Singapore uh, had a lot of paperwork, but it was cheap. So in any event, I filed for my Singaporean license uh, and I brought... Um, you know, my uh, full duplex FM HT to do satellite work uh, while I was over there, the Kenwood THD 73. Unfortunately, the new one doesn't have uh, full duplex, which is, you know, you really need for the FM satellite work. But uh, so I also made plans to meet the head of the Singaporean Ham Radio Club, um, 
while I was there because I thought, oh, let's go to dinner or something. I'll meet him and say hello, and he can show me the ham sites there, whatever those might be. And um, uh, so those were my plans. I was operating, and and I also brought calendars, New York City calendars, because I always like to give something to any ham who helps me along the way. So um, anyway, I was operating portable, uh, the FM satellites from a, a, a bridge over a roadway in Singapore. And uh, then after I made, after I worked the pass, I called my friend, uh, the, the head of the ham club, and I asked him if we were still on for dinner. And he said, Tom, do you have a physical license on you? And I said, no, the Singaporean government told me I was good in the, in the, in the logbook, so to speak, and that don't, not to worry about my physical license. Tom, put the radio away, go straight to them and get a physical license. This is Singapore. You must have a physical license because, you know, you must have a, sing a physical license in Singapore. It's not exactly the way things are in America. You wouldn't want to not have a license and then be... Uh, um, out of communications range for an extended period uh, in a mysterious way. So, um, so I went the next day to the um, FCC headquarters, which in Singapore is called IDA. And a very stern-looking woman comes out uh, wearing traditional garb, and you know, of course, the first thing that goes through your mind is, well, maybe this person doesn't like Americans, and um, you know, she. She came out and she worked with me to get me my paper license. It gave me my paper license, and I, I gave her a, a calendar and said thank you so much. And that led to about an hour and a half conversation, and we made plans uh, for the next day to go out to lunch. Is oh, let me show you my favorite halal Indian place. It's going to be great. And uh, we went out to lunch the next day, and her initials, by the way, happened. To her uh, her name, by the way, happens to be Ida, just like the initials of their FCC, which I thought was amazing. And um, you know, we we went out to lunch. She showed me some of the local temples. It was fantastic. I mean, that um, I never would have had that experience not operating portable and not not um, having a light, getting a license over there, and then. Later, I went out with the, the head of the Singaporean Ham Club, and uh, and that was fun, too, and I did some operating from his place. But, you know, yet another adventure. I'm glad that ended well with uh, me still here and not um, remaining in Singapore for an extended period because I didn't have a paper license. <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I also, I, I don't know about you, Brian and Dan, but I, I mean, I can, I can think of just... I don't know. There's so many people that I've met through summits on the through portable radio or through summits on the air. For example, um, Andy and uh, for LAG who comes out here. I worked a summit with him and and uh, Pat Ki. Uh, what is it? Uh, Ki four SBM. I'm sure you know Pat. Uh, he's out that way. He's I think the association manager for four W four. Um, and uh, you know uh, Robert and one RBD and uh, Doug. Uh, and for H and H, all those guys are out in the Georgia, you know, South Carolina, North Carolina area. Uh, worked people. I mean, I've and I've activated with people in California, um, plus all the people here in Arizona. It's and and uh, those joint activations have been such a pleasure. Uh, you know, just uh, being able to 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 share the the experience of hiking the mountain and, and just getting to know them. So, 
uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, I don't have, you know, amazing stories like that by any means, Tom, but that those, those last two stories were, were great, but still, you know, you get out and, and uh, get on the air and you're going to meet some great people. Just this last, what, two weeks ago, we had, uh, I met, uh, for the first time, uh, a bunch of YouTubers when I went out to California and we did, uh, a bunch of parks on the air and, and summits on the air activations and Frank and, and, uh, Jason and, uh, Adam, I'd already met before, but, uh, Chuck, uh, you know, a whole bunch of guys, it was it's just fun. It's 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 a great time. I, I miss uh, I miss being able to um, operate portable from uh, tops of buildings. You know, now post September 11th, it's it's not like it used to be. But I used to work in the towers, and about a month and a half uh, before uh, before they came down, I operated uh, a VHF UHF contest from there, and uh, with the 706 no less on in the on the viewing area uh which was great except i was you know a, a bit of a novice and uh the um i wound up blowing out part of the 706 because i was operating at you know too much power with a rubber duck antenna on the back oh, no. <laughs> but it, it was interesting to see that um on the roof itself uh where you could go outside um you couldn't really hear much because of the deafening intermod uh, and your cell phone would be kind of iffy too. But if you went down a floor or two, you heard so much more just because you were shielded from all the uh, all the zillions of watts coming out of the top of that place. Wow, that's interesting. That reminds me of I used to when I was working for the city of Scottsdale. Well, I'm still working for city of Scottsdale. Uh, occasionally, there would be a, a a spot that would come through uh, at lunchtime or on on my break. And uh, so I would actually, I ha sometimes I had my uh, F817 uh, in my truck. And so I'd go, I'd, I'd hop in the truck and go to the, and drive to the top uh, parking, of the parking structure to chase. And then I also, uh, occasionally I set up my antenna. Uh, I, I, I tied it to like a, one of those light poles and, and, you know, and uh, chased a bunch of people. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just fun. I, I forgot about the fact that I, I've also done uh well, that was the top of a parking structure, but I've, I've also done on the top of a building. And, and you're, you're right. Those, those buildings are challenging, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you know, I, I did that once. I can't remember. There was a bunch of people out on summits one day, and I was driving into Phoenix. And I happened to have been going by the airport. And there were several people on air, and I could hear them, but they couldn't hear me. And I was driving by the airport. So I pulled off into the airport, and I paid my money for the parking structure and I drove to the top floor of the parking structure to make contacts. <laughs> and about five minutes after I had whipped out my uh, antenna and stuff and monitored it up against the truck and everything, there were like three police officers that showed up and wondering what I was doing on top of the structure oh, over there. So <laughs> post for so, September 11th or pre-September 11th? It was post. But I mean, it was probably within the last two years, and uh, it, those conversations are always interesting. And I always hear about, you know, like the satellite guys will be out in the middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden, a, an officer will pull up behind and <laughs> wondering what they're doing. Right? You're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I so can tell you a story about that. The here's another one having the same experience. So here's another one for you along these lines. So I was thinking, you know, I was telling you about that that parking structure. Well, there was another parking structure across the street for. Uh, 
uh, Shea Osborne. This is the what is it? Osborne. Osborne. The, oh, the hospital. Hospital. Yeah. There's that parking structure. So I'm like, you know what? This parking structure is small. That one's huge. If I get on top of that one, that'd even be better. But I know they've got security rolling around and stuff like that. So I went over to the hospital and I asked for security and I said, Hey, is there any way I could uh, set up an antenna on the top of that parking structure? And he looked at me for a minute and he goes, What? What are you talking? About? <laughs> and I'm like. I'd like to run. I'd like to operate just it, it, just be for an hour. I just like to operate on top of there and just set up an antenna. And he just looked at me and he said, "I don't know who are you again." And I got I'm just, I'm just amateur radio operator. He said, "Well, let me let me take your name down, and I'll talk to my supervisor, and we'll get back to you." And I said, "Okay, my name is Charlie Brown, which is my name." And I think that was the end of the conversation. You <laughs> <laughs> got the yes scenario. I remember years ago uh, when I first met my wife, we went on road trips to see all the states east of the Mississippi, and I had this great 110-inch whip on, on, the, on the tiny little car. It looked like a big toy, but I would always pull over for the satellite contacts, and I had the um, arrow antenna, and uh, this isn't too long after September 11th. This is, I think, Tennessee, and uh, there was a, a, a pass, so we pulled into this gas station. I whipped out the antenna and, um, you know, I was making the contacts and a pickup truck comes by with a, with a whole bunch of um, uh, uh, local non-hams and uh, they were very, very concerned with what I might be doing at a gas station with an antenna because they thought, <laughs> well, obviously, mm, terrorism, Middle East, oil must be a connection, you know, so... I only got like a half a contact in that pass and the rest was explaining it, but they were all very nice. Once I explained to them what, what I was doing, that I wasn't calling in an airstrike for the gas station uh, as a terrorist or something. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what do you tell people? Uh, I, I mean, I've, I've come up with some pretty good stuff, but I think Brian has some good. As, as I, what did you tell me you tell people when they come up and ask you? You know, it, it depends upon my mood, but sometimes my one of my favorite things to tell people is that I'm up on top of the mountain, especially when I'm in the National Forest. I'll tell them on top of the mountain. I was hired by a cell phone company to do a study on reception from up here. And one of the things I'm trying to do, and this is a play on something somebody else here has done regarding squirrels at another location, that there's also a very rare lizard that's on top of the mountain. And the stuff that I'm doing is going to sterilize the lizard. And then once the <laughs> lizards go away, they'll actually be able to build the cell phone tower up here. Usually they scratch their heads and... <laughs> <laughs> I either get either get a blank stare, I get a lecture, or they just don't know what to say. So you know, yeah. and it's it all depends upon my mood and you know what the crowd kind of looks like. Was mine's kind of fun, you know? Yeah, I, I, it depends on my mood too. I mean, when I'm really really <laughs> cheeky, sometimes I mean, I've I've occasionally said that I'm searching for earthworms and like what when I'm like yeah the, these wire it'll it'll brings them up you know when you when you transmit the, the worms kind of come up out of the ground and, I, and then, then I have a fishing pole right here and that's what I use to fish with. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I don't have any good ones. I tell them what I'm doing, and they don't believe me, and they walk away. <laughs> you know, I, I've you know, because you always go up to the mountain with a, a fishing pole, right? And people, I've had people come by and ask me, you know, and I'll say, "Well, I'm fishing, obviously. I got my fishing pole right there, see." And they just give you a strange look. But I've always wanted to take and put a bunch of like rubber fish on a stringer and like throw it over the edge of a rock somewhere. And then, you know, when you get somebody like that that comes up and asks you, well, I'm fishing. Yeah, look over here, this big string full of fish that I've already caught right here, you know. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's Gary. Yeah, that's the one I've used before too, right? Talking to the UFOs. Oh, yep. <laughs> I get asked if I've heard any UFOs. I get that one a lot. Have you heard any little green men? <laughs> Funny. All right. Well, look, we've got uh, looks like eight minutes left, Tom. We could probably spend an, uh, a good, you know, a lot more time with you. But do you, do you have any in the eight minutes? Well, we got a we got an, an, a minute of wrap up. So in the last seven minutes, do you have anything else you want to share with the the listeners as far as any other stories or any uh, advice or just uh, just anything that you'd, you'd like to share? Well, the um, well, I tell you, I've always been impressed with what people can uh, achieve with QRP. And, and I'm, I'm always amazed and I kind of always fantasize myself about going out with some really small little featherweight rig. But I live in the tri-state area. And let me tell you, it is the rare QRP that, that you can hear uh, in my area. So I, for one, always try to bring as much power as I can um, not to uh, be macho or to make more contacts necessarily, but uh, just to give the poor souls such as myself a chance at at uh, at, at, at hearing uh, hearing them. Because uh, I've got to tell you, just in my QTH here, about 30 miles north of what must be one of the noisiest RF cities in the U.S., um, and I really can't hear anything at, at, at 5 watts. It's very unusual if I do, and I'm very happy. So, um, you know, the, the more power that's up there, the, the, the happier I am. Yeah, cool. You know, I got a question about that. So in New York, do you still see amateur radio operators in the city? You know, do you still see antennas on top of, you know, brownstones and, and things like that? Or is that pretty much so a thing of the past now? Well, they're, they're still out there, and every once in a while, you'll see a giant beam on a giant skyscraper, and then if you poke around, you'll find that uh, uh, someone, someone of means who's a ham is there, but, but not as much as you used to. I, um, when I lived on the east side at uh, 62nd Street, I had a, uh, a homebrew J-pole and uh, a uh, wire dipole. And you know, believe it or not, I did some two meter meteor scatter with that. So uh, you know, even if they're pretty modest setups, there there are people out there doing things, but not as much as they, they used to be. Although the UN's been very active lately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, interesting. We've got. Oh, go ahead, Brian. Okay, no, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say we've got uh, uh, K8DRT said he was camping and a bunch of people were asking. He had a, a. I saw a picture of this. I think on Twitter there was a rope strung up probably. 40 feet in the in the air just straight up people asking him about that and then he said uh you know as time went on the the answers got a little better each time <laughs> <To all the old-ies. laughs> yeah and then uh, congratulations to jesse man ha5ji 20 watts uh nice. band, the bands are picking up aren't they yeah, yeah. i have messed to us with slovenia the other day which oh, yeah, was right. which blew nice. my, my blew me away. I was not expecting that. In fact, I had to ask for the call like three times to make sure I was hearing it right. Because I'm like, what were you running? I was running five watts on on uh, on a twenty meter uh, dipole. Nice. Yeah, yeah. It was just I I mean, and he came back twice, and it was, you know, I'm like, all right, I guess it was legit. And I I never got an email or anything from him, but I checked him, and yeah, he's a soda guy. He's he's definitely activated before. Wow. Very nice. Yeah, it was middle. It was midday too. I mean, it was kind of the sort of the right time for for picking up stuff out of Europe, so it kind of made sense. But it was still 
quite surprising. And for me, you know, one of the one on an activation, I think one of the coolest walkups I've ever had from a ham was I was on in San Francisco uh, on top of uh, I think it's what's it Mount Davis, I think is what it's called. And while I was sitting there, here comes a guy walking up with an HT and a and a, and a hat on, and it was uh, Elliot K six EL. In fact, oh. I, I have a I have a picture. Him and I, I had somebody up there take a picture of him and I. I operated, continued to operate uh, C, uh, CW, and he was making VHF contacts on two meters, and we did a an impromptu joint activation. <laughs> were, were any of you guys chasers in, interested in soda before soda came to your areas, or was it when soda came to you that you that you got into it? Well, uh, for me, it was a complete accident. And I'm pretty much responsible for the other two guys getting getting it's started Brian's in it after, after, after I found <laughs> the accident. So quick, quick story because we're running out of time. Uh, Four Peaks, um, which is a very prominent um, mountain feature in the eastern part of the um, of the Phoenix area. The highest peak in there is called Brown's Peak. And I had hiked up there with some non-ham friends. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going up on this high spot. I should take an HD with me and see what I can do. And I, I worked a bunch of people on 5-2, and one of the contacts said to me, hey, congratulations on the first activation. Thanks for the points. And I'm like, whatever. I had no idea what we were talking about. So I wrote the call sign down, and that was the end of it. And a few days later, I got an email from uh, Pete, uh, WA7JTM, congratulating me on being the first one to activate that mountain and invited me to a get-together. And that's kind of how I found out about Soda. It was uh, completely by accident and totally uh, unintentional. And then you spread the disease amongst all your friends. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, you know, 200 plus activations and 2,000 points later, here we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was at a, a club meeting and I'd heard about uh, summits on the air, but uh, wanted more information. And then Brian actually coincidentally was giving a presentation on it when I showed up. So I'm like, hey. And so went along with him on my first one. And, and I think Dan's story may be similar. Yeah, same kind of thing. I think it was a, one of the follow on. Uh, summit on the air presentations and you and charlie were uh you guys were yakking you and brian and i stepped up there and asked a question and then yeah, it was done after that and charlie had an interesting first activation we were on mount peely and a couple uh pretty much right next to where we were operating did a, a wedding a marriage proposal while we were up there that's right. There was somebody up there. To, this is not a place where people go, by the way. Yeah, it's, not, yeah, it's of, not an easy Nobody summit. goes to the top of it's a, it's a bushwhack to the top of this, this summit. Yeah. But yeah. yet somehow the three of us show up and there's a, a couple up there. And yeah, he, he gets down on one knee and proposes to her right there. I'm like, yeah, that that's so much better than than doing a summit and getting someone's ashes in your eye because they were disposing of the uh, final ashes Whoa. on Mount Washington, which <laughs> happened to me. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, uh, to, the view, to the listeners, I guess I would just say, uh, just listening to us talk, I think that you can see the title, you know, Unlimited Possibilities of Portable Radio. If you get out there and you activate a summit, whether it be, or even if you go into a park and you do parks on the air, or if you don't do, if you just get on the radio and you're not doing anything for points or for a program, but you're just trying to make contacts, Things happen out there, and and uh, it's it's just fun, and uh, and experiences you'll have that you'll never have otherwise are there. So uh, I, I want to thank you, Tom, for for coming. I appreciate you being on on the thank show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I hope, hopefully we covered everything you wanted to cover. Um, Dan, what did you have else to say? Anything? Uh, big weekend coming up. You, did you want to take a moment sure, and go, just uh, talk about that? 
Uh, let's see. This coming up Saturday is uh, Arizona's uh, Ten Point Mountain Madness. So there's what thirty three, I think, mountains being ten pointers being activated uh, Saturday morning, and uh, it will be pure madness on the bands, especially on uh, VHF and UHF and microwave, and then uh, spilling over onto the HF bands. And I know there's folks in California that'll be out uh, in Washington and a few other places, as well as I think a bunch of folks be in the Appalachian uh, Mountains. Uh, is that correct, Charlie? I think there's yeah, a the, event going the, on there. Appalachian Trail event, yeah. They'll they'll yeah. be uh, trying to get we'll be trying to work each other, yeah. Yeah. So you know, if you uh, are uh, able to get to a peak this uh, coming up Saturday, go out there and post a a, a spot a. Uh, an alert and uh if you're chasing uh this week gonna be a fantastic weekend to make a lot of contacts so hopefully yep. everybody uh right. enjoys the weekend i just didn't interject as well that uh if you're doing if you're a pota person um at least uh i think brian and i at least are going to be operating as parks on the air as well uh so you can chase us uh from another park and do a park to park with us or just uh however you want but just get out on the air and and uh, enjoy it I would also say that uh, we have a bunch of, of smaller channels that do summits on the air for YouTube that will be our guests at the next uh, uh, stream in two weeks. Uh, Jesse, who's in the chat, is one of them that will be on, and Tim and a few others. So uh, don't don't forget to join us again in a couple weeks. And uh, so I guess we're going to close it out then. Anything else from anybody before we uh, say goodbye? Thanks, folks. And, Charlie, I sent you the, the Yagi plans. Okay, great. Thank you. All right, everybody. Until next time, 73 to you. Have a good one. 73, 73. everyone.